Well, excited to continue in uh, the series that we started last week, uh, which is called Canceled, as we're taking a look at the concept of American Christianity, how we kind of need to really rethink it and uh, how it kind of connects to this idea of cancel culture. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week. If you're not familiar with the term cancel culture, it's this idea of the, a group within society holding other aspects of the society, different individuals accountable for their actions. Uh, the issue being that among secular cancel culture is the idea that really the, the mob is the one that gets to decide. There's not really an underlying moral or integrity to it. It's whatever the the mob thinks is the right thing to do. Maybe the mob is the wrong word uh, for those of you who grew up around here. Uh, But it's the idea of (laughs) the the crowd gets to decide. And and so there are things within our culture that we see that are near and dear. And I've seen uh, in some cases history is being canceled. Uh, The idea of conservatism is being canceled uh, in our culture because it doesn't align with certain people's beliefs. And, and, and the idea behind it is really centered on bringing accountability. They want there to be a greater level of accountability. So I think there is something for us to glean from that as the church. How can we look at American Christianity and begin to say, where are the areas within our own little house here that we need greater accountability? What are the, what are the facets of this family that we need to take a look at? And I don't mean just us here. But the church in America, and uh, thankfully the church in America is, is growing, uh, but there are a lot of churches in America that are declining. And so we really want to take a look at this concept. So this week I really wanted to let, take a look at what God wants to cancel, and it's this idea of the pursuit of more. Now, I told our first service this morning, I didn't know if I was preaching to the right group uh, because there was a whole group of other people who their pursuit of more was for more sleep. So yeah, they they were there for first service, but here in second service, I know I've got the right crowd because you pursued that extra hour of sleep and said, you know what? I am going to get that sleep tonight. How many of you went to bed early last night because you knew the time was changing? Yeah, it never works. What in the world? (laughs) Why can't we be smarter? I mean, I set our clocks ahead at like eight o'clock to remind us it's getting late. And then it just kept getting later and later and later and later. And then it was morning. So, but you know what? There is a pursuit of more within our culture, within our lives, and it it has bled into the church as well. There is a pursuit of more, a desire for more, a desire for greater. And, And there are aspects of that pursuit that are healthy, but there are some that are terribly unhealthy that we really need to consider. I was listening to a podcast this week, and they were talking about this idea of what used to shape us in society. And they said that for the majority of our existence, our human existence, what has mattered most to us as a society, who we have put up on a pedestal as heroes, as leaders, has been those of great integrity and morality. But for some reason, around the early 1900s, there was a shift that took place in culture. And instead of promoting people who had incredible integrity or morality, we began to promote people who had great personality. Big personality. People who would gain notoriety, who would be well-noticed and well-liked. And as that has progressed over the period of the last hundred years, we've reached a point in time where our most charismatic leaders, our most charismatic heroes, or the people that we, that we idolize in some cases, they have incredible personality, but behind the facade of personality, there's absolutely no integrity. It's a scary thought. These are the heroes. 
These are the people that my kids are looking up to, that your kids are looking up to, that the kids in our communities are looking up to. They have really big personalities. But here's the thing. Personality is really bent on a number of areas, like who's the prettiest, who's the smartest, who has the most money, the most notoriety, the most power, the most fame, the most skill, the most talent, all of those things. And and the problem that comes to us as a culture is that not everybody can be the most talented. Not everybody can be the prettierest. I know I pull it off every week, but not everyone can do it. Not everyone can be the smartest. Not everyone can be the greatest singer, the greatest writer, the greatest thing. And so while these are the people that we elevate in society, it creates this underlying theme that you should want that, want that, want that, want to be skilled and and promoted like everyone else. And the pursuit for more of those attributes, which are sometimes unattainable, comes at the cost of turning inwardly and saying, I want to pursue integrity morality, godliness, righteousness. And so this pursuit of more that has bled into our culture has really caused us to think, you know, they're tell ourselves all the time, well, hey, I'm into this, or I like this, I want to do this, I'm chasing after this, I desire this, I want this. And we tell ourselves that all of it is okay, because no matter what we do, it's okay with God. In fact, I'd love to share a verse with you here. It's one of those that's misquoted a lot. It's Romans 8.1. It says this, There is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Yes. We can do whatever we want. Because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? It doesn't matter. In fact, if we take this right at face value here, it makes the whole concept of evangelism very simplistic. Let's just get people to say the sinner's prayer. Let's get them to accept Jesus into their hearts. And boom, they're good for life. It doesn't matter what they do from that point on, how they live, where they go, how they act. None of it matters because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. No. There's more. And I really want to unpack this this morning Because we've used this statement too many times to be able to give ourselves the excuse that whatever we're chasing after is okay. We've given, used this as the excuse that whatever our desires are, they're okay. Maybe we even say, God made me this way. God wants me to do these things. Or these are the desires of my heart. We tell each other, you do you. Make, do what makes you happy. Follow your dreams. Follow your heart. All of those ideas. And then we tell ourselves in the middle of that, when it contrasts against godliness, we say, it's okay. That doesn't matter because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But I really want to unpack this further because there's a much deeper element here that needs to be understood. And it is the concept of finding satisfaction. How will we ever be satisfied? When all we want is more, how will we ever be satisfied? You know, the concept that we're going to unpack here in just a second talks about this idea that we are either in our lives led by a sin nature or we are led by the Spirit of God. Those are the two things that are the driving forces of our lives. And if you look at this, I know sin is a word that we don't really like to talk about. It makes us uncomfortable. What is sin? Uh, you know, what, that's such a big word and scary. Here's the idea that really is behind sin. God describes sin as anything that drives a wedge between us and him. Anything that harms our relationship with him and also harms our relationships with each other. That's what he describes as sin. It's written out in so many different ways, but you can bring all of it. And Jesus said, that's why he said, I can summarize all the law and all in this one statement. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's why he said, I can summarize all of it because all sin comes down to a lack in loving God with all you've got or loving your neighbor as yourself. And so when we look at things like the Ten Commandments, every one of the Ten Commandments is this idea that there is a, a limit. And if you go beyond that limit and pursue more than that limit, you have sinned against God or sinned against somebody else. God says, I want to be number one in your life. But sometimes we say, well, God's not enough. I want more than that. God says, no idolatry in your life. And we say, well, you know, I, I, I mean, hopefully none of you are at home bowing down to any idols, right? We're good there. Do we need to talk about that this morning? No. Here's the thing. We tell ourselves that we don't have any idols in our lives, but let me give you a very clear definition of what an idol is. Anything that I give more time and attention to than Jesus is an idol. Let me say that again. Anything that I give more time and attention to in my life is an idol. I'd like to show you one of mine. I keep it in my pocket. Oh, it's got my wife's picture in there. She looks nice. That's my wife. She doesn't smile at me a lot, so I keep this. Just, <laughs> And she's mad. I can be like, she's still smiling. <laughs> you know, we'll spend two hours a day on our phone and then tell ourselves we have no time for prayer. We'll spend two hours on Facebook but tell ourselves we have no time to read the Bible. We'll watch, we will, what we like to call binge watch, the latest season of something on Netflix or Hulu or Amazon Prime. But we tell ourselves that we don't have time to get into the presence of God. We've, we have idols. We have them. They're realities for us. And so I want us to look at this this morning and understand where does satisfaction come from. And so in Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9, this is right after when he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He says, let me explain to you what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So he says this, those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And then he says, this is a big if, okay? Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. What? Remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in, him, in them do not belong to Him at all. Again, he's talking, there are two driving forces in our lives. Now, when he's trying to reach first century Jews in the Roman Empire, when this is written to the church in Rome, he's trying to explain to them this concept of law and legality. All of the history of the church has been centered on this idea that God has rules and decrees and commands, and the only way to have relationship with God, to be right with God, is to follow those rules. And if you break those rules, then you have to go to the next set of rules about how to get forgiveness. And you've got to go through all of these things. And he's trying to tell them, listen, we don't live under the law anymore or the condemnation of the law, which leaves us guilty all the time. We live by the Spirit of God. 
But the litmus test is this. If you are being led in your life by the Spirit of God, then the sinful pursuits, the desires of the flesh, no longer have any control over you. And if they do, here's the scary part, then maybe the Spirit of God is not inside of you and you have no part of God whatsoever. So this is a really challenging statement that he's making here. And he's talking about how this is, it all comes down to the, the matters of our hearts. What's going on on the inside? Because one of Jesus' most frustrating elements to deal with in his ministry was that he was coming to a people that just like Isaiah and Jeremiah said, with their mouths they worship me, but their hearts are far from me. They have mastered what it looks like to be religious. They have mastered what it looks like to sound religious, to dress religious, to go through the religious festivals and do everything they're supposed to do, but their hearts are so far from me. You can read this in Matthew chapter 5 because uh, Jesus, who's preaching at this point, talks about two elements that he says really indicate this best. He says, number one, you've heard you should not commit murder. But I tell you that if you hate someone, then in your heart you're already guilty of murder. Then he says, you should not commit adultery. You've heard it told you this, but I tell you this, if you lust after someone in your heart, you are already guilty of adultery. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, yes, murder is a terrible thing. But what's worse is the heart behind the murderer. Adultery is a terrible thing. But what's worse is the heart behind an adulterer. Because they're being led by a sin nature instead of the Spirit of God. In church, there are things that we deal with that our heart matters. And we look at these things that drive a wedge between us and God, sometimes that we allow to become the number one things in our lives, the pursuit of more, the desire for more, more notoriety, more fame, more money, more stuff, more, 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 and to the point that we are never satisfied, and these pursuits oftentimes lead us away from that internal pursuit of more of God. And as I said before, not everybody can be the most talented, not everybody can be the most uh, the best singer, the best looking, any of those things. But anyone who chooses, anyone who chooses can turn inwardly and become a person of morality and integrity. Anyone who chooses can turn inwardly and to say, I want more of God. And so Paul's asking the question, what's leading you? Yes, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but those who are in Christ Jesus are not led by a sin nature that leads them to sin. They are led by the Spirit of God to do things that please God. Now, does that mean we never sin whatsoever ever again? I hope not, because if that's the case, I'm in big trouble. Right? No, we're still going to fall short of the glory of God and need His mercy. We're going to need His grace. We're going to need His forgiveness. But he said, listen, there should be a change in you, a change in your pursuits. What is he basically saying? For us as the church, let's put this, the real rubber to the road here. Our desires should look differently from our unsaved neighbors. The things that we want out of life should look different than our unsaved neighbors or friends or family members or coworkers. Our pursuits should look different because we're not led by the same things that they're led by. And if everything that we want in our lives and out of our lives is the same as what they want, there's a pretty good indication that we're just being led by a cultural idea of satisfaction, wanting more, getting more, instead of turning inwardly and saying, I want to be satisfied by relationship with Jesus. 
He says this then in verses 12 and 14. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. He's saying, what does it mean to be a true child of God? You're led by the Spirit of God. You're led by the Spirit of God because He's inside of you and working through you. He's changing what matters most to you. Church, there is a pursuit of more within all of us, and I'm not pointing a finger when I say this because I live it just the same as anybody else in this room. There is a pursuit of more inside all of us that sometimes goes counter to the God culture that he desires to build inside of us. When God says, I want to satisfy you, sometimes our concept of satisfaction is hinged on, okay, God, I'll be satisfied when I have dot, 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 dot. I'll be satisfied when I have fill in the blank, when I get this, when I get that promotion, when I get this recognition, when I get this kind of car, that kind of house, when I get this, this, then I'll feel like I've made it, then I'll be satisfied. But the problem is we meet people and hear of people all the time who have all the wealth of the world at their disposal and do not have the sense of satisfaction that the poorest person on the other side of the world has who has nothing but Jesus. Why? Why? It's this idea that it seems so distant and far from us. But to be a true child of God means to be led by His Spirit. Our pursuits, our desires, our hungers should be different. And if they aren't, we need to think about it. God, am I being led by Your Spirit or are the things that I want just worldly? just earthly, just things that I think will bring me satisfaction. Verses 15 to 17, he says this, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. For we call him Abba Father, which means the Supreme Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we're his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs to God's glory. But, I don't like this word, but. But, if we are to share his glory, we must also share his suffering. What? All right, if you are holding a paper Bible, just tear that page. Just, if you have a digital Bible, I don't know what to tell you. It's stuck. If... We are to share his glory. We must also share his suffering. You know, in American Christianity, we have adopted this idea that we do not need to suffer. In fact, that if we are following God, we shouldn't suffer. It should be easy. You know, none of us would probably say that we believe in a prosperity gospel. That is to say that following God makes, should make us rich or that we'll have everything we've ever hoped for, wanted, or desired. But if we're being honest with ourselves, there is something inside of us that makes us think that if I'm following God and doing everything he tells me to do, that I should have everything that I want. I should be satisfied. But God's saying, listen, 
This is not about you being satisfied with what you've got. It's about you being satisfied with who is inside of you and understanding that the glory that I desire to bring out of you first comes through the pain of suffering just like Jesus. And can I tell you, if there's something that America, in American Christianity we really need to rethink and to cancel, it's this idea that following God is easy, that it is going to somehow make our lives better than everybody else's, and that there's not going to be any pain or suffering along the way because God made it so clear. Jesus said it, the Apostle Paul said it all throughout Scripture, that to follow me means you are going to suffer. And if you're not suffering... It might mean you're not following me. Think about that for a second. If life is so easy, pain-free, there might be a chance, and we don't think in these terms, right? Isn't it that in pain we think to ourselves, maybe I'm not following God. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe I don't hear from God. Maybe I don't know what God wants for my life. Maybe, and that's how we think, right? I've been there. I can't tell you how many times I've been there in my life. Okay, I must have done something wrong because this hurts right now. This is painful right now. But God says that if we are to share in his glory, we must also share in his suffering. So isn't it fair to say that if we are living a life completely without any suffering whatsoever, that maybe we're not in the place of following God that we thought we were? I'm just throwing it out as an idea. Lastly, I just have to ask this question. What will satisfy you? What will satisfy you? And I was looking at the 12 disciples this week and every one of the disciples except for John died a martyr's death. I look at John the Baptist died a martyr's death. The Apostle Paul after following God's plan for his life ends up sitting in a prison in Rome and is beheaded. Peter, crucified upside down. Thomas was put in the circle of four soldiers who had an order stabbed him on all four sides of his body with spears and killed him. Matthias, stoned and clubbed to death. The lucky one was John, who after surviving being thrown into a vat of boiling oil, was marooned on an island for the rest of his life. He was the lucky one. You know, I think to myself, if, if we were to look at what it means to follow God through our lens of American Christianity, and, and for Paul sitting down in, in his cell, and he knows his death is imminent, it's coming, I'm going to be beheaded for, for Christ. I'm going to lose my life because I chose to follow Jesus. After going on three missionary journeys around the known world to tell people about Jesus, I'm sitting in a jail cell and I'm going to be killed for the sake of the cross. But he's satisfied. And he writes, I have run my race. I have fought the good fight. And all that waits for me now is a crown of glory in heaven. And that's enough for me. That's enough for me. He wasn't like, man, I got ripped off because I followed God to a prison cell and death. John the Baptist followed God to a prison cell and death. 
the disciples followed Jesus to death sentences all over the world where they went out to do exactly what he told them to do. It's not like they were in disobedience, right? Because we think to ourselves, boy, somebody who's going through trouble, who's in pain, who's in difficulty, they must have sinned, they must have messed up. No, the story of their lives is that they did every single thing God told them to do, and it ended with them dying for the sake of the cross. But I believe in all my heart they died satisfied. They died satisfied more satisfied than we would be. Looking back on our lives and thinking, did I gain as much as I had hoped to gain? Did I build as much as I had hoped to build? Did my life amount to what I wanted it to amount to? Did I accomplish my dreams? Did I fulfill my goals? Did I do what I set out to do? Listen, church, there are people all over the world who come to their last breath feeling empty and lost and broken because they spent a lifetime on self being led by a nature of sin instead of being led by the Spirit of God. But these guys who lived lives led by the Spirit of God got to a bloody, gruesome end and were still able to sit back and say, I'm satisfied because I've run my race. I've suffered with Jesus. I've paid the price for the gospel. I've honored Jesus through the surrender of my life. I get to go to my death just like my Savior. I'm not promoting death as an idea of something we should hope for. But death to self comes on the heels of canceling our pursuit of more. It comes from the place of finding satisfaction in relationship with Jesus. It comes from the satisfaction of living out God's will for our lives even when it hurts. I would love to tell you that in every way that I have followed God in my life, it's been easy. I have had to follow God through tears. I have had to follow God through pain. I've had to follow God at the expense of hurting my children sometimes. Can I just be honest with you? When God called my family to leave where we live and come here, when I knew that for months and months, I would be on my face before the Lord and I would just, I mean, I know I, I'm a tough guy, but I, I'm a crybaby, honestly. I would just be on my face crying for my kids. I did. I just hurt so bad for them because I said, Lord, this is going to hurt my kids so bad. This is the only family they know. This is the only place they've ever grown up. They don't, these are their friends. This is their community. This is their school. And I would just cry because I knew it was going to hurt. But I had to keep coming back to say, okay, God, I believe that you will satisfy them through this. I believe you will satisfy what you desire to do through this. And I want to sit back someday and look back and say, I've done everything I could do to follow Jesus. I ran the race. I fought the good fight. And all that's left for me is a crown of glory in heaven. And I want to look back and say, that's enough. That's enough. I've done enough with my life because I spent it following Jesus. When it was hard, when it was easy, I've had enough because I've followed Jesus. What is going to satisfy you? What's going to satisfy you? Is it a promotion at work? A pay raise? 
cheaper gas. I heard recently Taco Bell, still the only place you can get gas for $1.39. Some of you will get that later. Taco Bell sells gas? Is it a bigger house? A newer car? More money in your bank account? More notoriety? More fame? What is it? What's going to satisfy you? I'm not saying that any of those things are bad or wrong, but when they become our pursuit, when we think that that's what's going to make us feel better in life, when we think that that's what's going to satisfy us, we really find that what was leading us all along was a sin nature and not the Spirit of God. I'm not saying that following God means you have to have nothing. But I am saying that it has, means you'd have to be willing to give up everything. I want to say that again, okay? Following God doesn't mean you have to live with nothing. But it does mean you have to be willing to give up everything. Because that's what it takes to be led by the Spirit of God. But the promise is this. For those who are led by the Spirit of God will be called children of God. And the children of God will look back on their lives after having gone through suffering and bring glory to God. And at that moment, if somebody asks you, are you satisfied? You'll be able to say, yeah, I lived my life for Jesus. I wouldn't trade a moment of it. You bow your heads with me. God, I thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word, the challenges that you lay before us, God, what it means to be surrendered to you. And God, if we're being honest, if I'm being honest, there are so many facets of life and the comforts of this world that we think are due to us that we, we should be able to enjoy, that there should be some comforts that we enjoy because we're following you and trusting you. But God, the greatest followers of Jesus that we would ever even know of are people who followed you through pain, who followed you through suffering, who delighted in being able to come to the end of their lives and say, I've fought the good fight. I've run the race set before me. And God, they died full and satisfied not because they had so much or had accomplished such great things but because they'd live a life for Jesus God would you help us to realize that's enough when it doesn't feel like it is would you remind us that that's enough when we're living in a culture where millions and billions of dollars are being spent every day to tell us we deserve more or we deserve better would you remind us that you're enough when we're being bombarded by advertisements and culture and peer pressure to tell us that we need more and better and, and that we just need to develop personality and become bigger and bigger, would you turn us inwardly so that we can focus on you and become men and women of integrity? Men and women who are led by the Spirit of God and who are dead to the sinful nature that leads to death. God, I believe in my heart you're the only thing that will satisfy.
And I just hope that for all of us, we would take hold of that pursuit, canceling the pursuit of what the rest of the world is after to bring them hope or peace or comfort and being all in, sold out, God, surrendered in every area of our lives to pursue you. As we're in prayer this morning, I just want to ask you if you're here and maybe you'd say, I'm, I'm definitely in a place in my life where I know that I'm sometimes caught up in the desires of the world, the things that everybody else wants. I know that sometimes my pursuits lead me in different directions, but I want to live a life that is 100% sold out and led by the Spirit of God. If that's you, I just want to ask you to slip up a hand so I can pray for you this morning. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I want godly pursuits. Anybody else? I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Can I ask you to stand as we get ready to close in prayer? You know, it's probably about 80% of you in this room that raised your hand and said, that's where I'm at. I really do want to live a life that is honoring and pleasing to God that can even go through suffering and not believe it means that I'm being punished. Here's the reality. There's a great chasm between wanting and doing. A great chasm between wanting and doing. Sometimes we've got to make the decision to say, okay, God, I'm going to put my idol down today. Maybe spend a little bit more time with you. I'm going to put away watching some TV or looking at Facebook or whatever that is. I'm going to put those things away and I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to get into the Bible and I'm going to get into prayer and I'm going to spend that moment with you. It's a decision that we make. But I want to pray for you because it's not easy. I'm not, I don't want to ever give the idea that following God with all of your heart and being led by the Spirit is easy. It's a challenge every day. But God is faithful and His grace is sufficient. And can I tell you what? You're going to make it. So God, I just pray right now for every single person here who raised their hand, who wants to live according to the desires of the Spirit, led by the Spirit nature instead of a sin nature, God. Lord, would you just cancel this idea in our hearts that the only way we can find peace and satisfaction is through worldly pursuits or getting what we want or what we think we deserve. God, would you cancel that out of our hearts and fill it with the satisfaction of living for you? No matter what it looks like, God, would you put that in our hearts? Would you put that in your people, Lord? That you would be enough? That you would be enough? That what you've given to your people is enough? That whatever you've allotted to them is enough? Just like you said through the prophet Nathan to, to David that I gave you everything and if it hadn't been enough, I would have given you more. God, would you remind us that the pursuit of more is always going to lead us to feeling empty and lost and insufficient, but that the pursuit of you leads to us having everything that we need. God, would you put that in our hearts? Could we be satisfied by more of you? God, would you challenge us with that question in the days and weeks to come? Is it enough? Are you enough in our lives? Or is it going to take something else? Is there going to have to be another thing that brings satisfaction to our lives? Are we going to need something else to break open or, or change or happen in order to find comfort? God, we want to be surrendered to you. 
We want to be grateful and satisfied by you. And so God, I pray that you'll be with us as we go today. That as we go into the world, you would change our eyes. That you would change our hungers. That we would be a people who are bent on the pursuit of relationship with Jesus more than anything else. God, we commit all of this into your hands and ask you to lead us by your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, go do. Go do it. You get to walk out and say, I'm going to live life for Jesus today, but consider what will satisfy you, what will give you peace. Lord bless you. We're so glad you're here today. I love you more than you know. Even when I have to preach hard things for you, I still love you. I hope you know. But have a blessed day and allow Jesus to speak to your heart.